Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit you caused it to be written for our learning. We might be trained in righteousness. Father, thank you that for thousands of years you were raising up your prophets to write your words and speak them. And so, Lord, thank you that we are the inheritors of that. And we pray now that by your Holy Spirit you will cause those words to live afresh in us. Amen. Now, I've got a brilliant Lego kit here. And... Um, it shows a picture of a sort of Land Rover thing, which is rather good. Um, so I think I've got the idea. So um, it's Technic. So presumably you put that bit with that bit, and then you... Uh, um, I don't think I'm very good at this. Um, well, now, how many adults always follow the instructions when they get a new piece of kit or a self-assembly? <laughs> how, how many wives are going to dob their husbands in <laughs> and say, no, he doesn't? What about not asking the way when you don't know where you're going? Yeah, that's different, isn't it? <laughs> okay. And who really understands their computers? Do you? <laughs> it's all there, isn't it? If only we would actually read it. The fact is, everything has a system. Everything has the right way and the instructions and things. Um, personally, I don't like that at all. I hate systems unless I can invent them. Uh, uh, and even then, I don't necessarily want to follow them myself. They're really for other people. But even we ourselves have to fit in somewhere. We have a background, a context. Now, any of you watch that TV series, Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah? Um, it's taken various celebrities to find out more about their family backgrounds. It goes back through their history and things. And they learn a lot about themselves in the process. So Ruby Wax learned that her parents uh, fleed the Nazis. Fern Cotton found that her Welsh great-grandfather went down the pits at the age of 13. Derek Jacobi found that he was descended from a Huguenot fleeing persecution in France. Marianne Faithful's mother was a dancer in 1920s Berlin. And it goes on and on like that. Now, the Jewish authorities asked Jesus, who do you think you are? And it was really important he was able to give them an answer. Now, have any of you ever had one of those little New Testaments with the Psalms on the end. Anyone have one of those? Yes? And the, this one's from the Gideons, in fact. And they're very convenient. They're easy to carry in your hip pocket. Um, but I remember the great Old Testament scholar Alec Mature saying that to give somebody one of these was a bit like giving somebody a sword with no handle, but with a bit from the middle of the handle stuck on the end. And what he meant was that one cannot properly understand the New Testament except in the context of the Old Testament. If Jesus was to be fully human as well as fully divine, he had to be born into a historical setting with all that that entailed. There was a, a back story. There were rules as to how it was done. There had to be... a divine law. <laughs> that looks good. Yeah, just show them. That, that look... <laughs> Very good. All right. 
you can sit down now. <laughs> I get carried away. <laughs> there, there had to be a divine law to which humanity was an understanding and a context. So that Jesus' incarnation and atonement and resurrection could make sense. And if we haven't understood that we were made in the image of God, but chose to do things our own way rather than his, such that all mankind is cut off from the divine life forever, and there's nothing we can do to redeem ourselves, try as we might, then there's no way we can make proper sense of what on earth or in heaven Jesus was doing in coming to live amongst us as the only perfect human life there's ever been, the only human being who never deserved to die and to die in payment for our sins. So we need our Old Testament. Jesus made a point of reading and understanding the Old Testament scriptures. Now, anybody here age 12? Got a 12-year-old anywhere? Yeah, there you are, I'm a 12-year-old. Thank you very much. You are the age it was when his parents lost him in Jerusalem. So it'd be like your parents taking you up to London and then going off and saying, when they get back to here, saying, uh... It was got to. And the only difference is it took them, it's, we've got trains now, so it's a bit faster. They could turn around and come zipping back again, couldn't they? But for them, it was three days, the coming out, oh, where's he got to? Oh, my word, I thought he was with you. Back again, back in. And they, eventually they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everybody who heard was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they said, what do you think you're doing? I mean, how can you do this to us? What are you leaving here? He said, Oh, what's all the fuss about? Didn't you know I had to be with my father's house? Because he knew that he had to understand the Old Testament properly so that he could exercise his ministry. And he assumed that they would know that too. And Isaiah, more than anybody else in the Old Testament, set out what was going to be involved. So when Jesus began his ministry, he was in the synagogue, he read out a passage from Isaiah 61. Now, just try to imagine the scene. Everybody's here at church... And suddenly, this young man comes in, he's got a bit older than 12 now, and he goes up to the lectern. And he reads, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed and the word is literally messiahed, me, to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, no wonder everybody looked at him. And after that, the whole of the rest of the ministry is punctuated by phrases like, in accordance with the scriptures, or that the scripture might be fulfilled that. There are comparatively few points at which all four evangelists exactly converge because they've all got different emphases and they're trying to make different points. But they are unanimous in setting the scene for Jesus' ministry by quoting Isaiah 40 about John the Baptist, which was the passage we had just now. Because who on earth is this peculiar bloke <laughs> in peculiar clothes <laughs> you can't actually. <laughs> and 
eating a very weird diet. I haven't got any locusts, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and eating, who is he? Just what Isaiah had foretold. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. If you want to understand Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, we'll start by recognizing that God has fulfilled his promise of sending a herald in the person of John the Baptist. So we've got the law and the prophets. Why does Jesus minister by the Sea of Galilee? Oh, it was all there in Isaiah. Why does he do miracles of healing? Well, Isaiah told you he would. Why does he tell parables? Ask Isaiah. And at Mark 7 and Matthew 15, Jesus himself tells the Pharisees off for their legalism in the words of Isaiah 29. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They preferred their rules to a relationship with the living God. And Isaiah had foreseen that that would be the case. So it shouldn't surprise anyone. So instead of saying, well, if Jesus is so wonderful, why isn't everyone following him? Reading Isaiah would have shown people that that's exactly what one would expect if the true Son of God were to come. Paul, trying to explain in his letter to the Romans that it always was God's plan when the Jews rejected Jesus, God would bring Gentiles in to follow him, quotes Isaiah eight times in Romans. And the most striking example of all was when a high up civil servant from Ethiopia <laughs> was traveling in his chariot and the Apostle Philip happened to come up alongside him. What was he reading? Isaiah 53. And so he's sitting I can't make head nor tail of this. I mean, what on earth is he on about? And Philip was able to explain that Isaiah, writing 700 years earlier, had given the most breathtakingly detailed account of how God would rescue us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. It's no exaggeration to say that the New Testament is steeped in Isaiah. Without him, Jesus would have had few firm handholds for his ministry, and people would have been justified in asking, who do you think you are? But that really isn't the question, is it? God prepared the way for that 700 years before through Isaiah and further and further back than that. Instead, the question is this. Jesus asks each one of us, who do you think you are? Because your eternal destiny will be decided according to your response to Jesus. The Jews thought they were all right with God just by virtue of who they were, but they were wrong. Isaiah shows that men and women are put right with God only by the death of Jesus. Is that what you are trusting in? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that Jesus came into a world that had been prepared for him, and although it shows her sin and disobedience and rebellion against you. Lord, yet there was the way in which we could make sense of what he was doing. And Lord, thank you that by that same spirit that inspired the prophets, you have taken that message of the gospel through the generations to reach to us. 
And Lord, we pray that we may not be like the Jews, trusting in our own goodness and all the things that we do. Lord, we're wholly dependent on Jesus, his death and resurrection. And we thank you for it. We glorify you. Praise your holy name. Amen.